Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, however, wherever, whenever you're listening. This is the Root for Wisconsin show, episode 133, coming at you from the Riverwood Gallery studio in De Pere, Wisconsin. I'm host producer Eric Fisher, the Big E. Joining me tonight, we've got member of the Highway 22 crew, Sean Klossman. Sean, how are you doing, buddy? Doing good, how are you? Fantastic. And joining us for the first time ever, I don't have a cool nickname here, but we have guest host, potentially future accompanying host, co-host. We'll see how tonight goes if he doesn't suck. That's the rule. Uh, We got Dylan Schreit. Dylan, how are you doing, man? I'm doing all right. How are you? Fantastic. Glad you could join us. Glad that you get to join the show. Uh, For those of you who don't know, Dylan was one of my college roommates my freshman year. And a lot of tomfoolery all throughout college. So Mm -hmm. Dylan joins us tonight. And again, as long as he doesn't suck, he will be allowed to join in the future. Now, Sean, I want to tell you this. I want to tell you this. So I, I told Dylan that. I said, as long as you don't suck, you'll be more than welcome to come back. And he asked me, to define suck, like what what are our standards? And I told him, and this is quote, I said, the standards that we have for this show right now, I said, as long as you're able to form coherent thoughts together, talk about sports and have been to Wisconsin, you're in pretty good company. If you If you don't do any of those three, if you've never been to Wisconsin, if you can't talk sports, and if you're unable to put a coherent thought together... You would be disqualified. So I guess we'll see. Do we do we got to define a coherent thought? Because sometimes we don't have those. So, well, you well, don't want to get too in depth. <laughs> no, and that's the thing is sometimes we do have coherent thoughts though. So I'm kind of giving it's like a pass fail. So you got to get two out of those three <laughs> at any given time. <laughs> that sounds good. I'm good with that. Yeah, I can work with that. I can work. All with right. That. As always, we've got to talk about our friends over at Ragin' Pro Wrestling, RPW. Big weekend coming up tomorrow night already. We've got RPW Homecoming at the Wapaka Expo Center. As of right now, I believe we are slated to be there. Uh, to be determined, there's another commitment that may pop up here. But Wapaka Expo Center, doors open at 6 p.m., bell time, 7 p.m. Some tickets are still available, so if you want to check out some of the best wrestling for like $20 that you can, Wapaka Expo Center, look sharp in the Fox River Mall, and tickets will be available at the door, but they are first come, first serve, so get there as early as possible. If you want to see matches like Swoggle versus Preston Palmer, yeah, former WWE superstar Hornswoggle Dylan going to be in Wapaka tomorrow night. Mm, I've met him before. Have you? Yeah, he used to. So before he got into WWE, he was, um, I believe he was a cashier at the Target in Oshkosh. Oh. And I remember him because his name is Dylan. Mm-hmm. His name is Swoggle Dylan. <laughs> his non-professional name is Dylan. And I remember checking, I, I had to have been in high school, and I just remember looking at his name tag and oh, Dylan. Cool. He probably would have been in like elementary school. I don't remember. He's been in WWE, or he was in WWE, like, for a good part of our <clears throat> middle childhood. Like, 2008, I'm pretty sure, because that was when... Yeah, it's got to be younger than... Second round of DX was, too, so... That's right, and he even knew before that, because he was with... He was with Finley, as, mm-hmm. initially, as Little Bastard, and then they changed his name to Hornswoggle. <laughs> yep. um, 
But also, so that's Friday night, and there's a number of matches obviously going on Friday night. Saturday night, we're at the Big Apple in Manitowoc, and that is RPW Destiny 3. Uh, once again, there is a meet and greet at 530. RPW Surge starts at 6, and bell time for that one starts at 7 o'clock. Plenty of matches already on the card for that one. So you're not going to want to miss out. Two back-to-back nights of RPW Ragin' Pro Wrestling here in Northeastern and in Central Wisconsin. So, Dylan, I don't know what you're doing this weekend, but if you have any free plans, tickets are still available. Yeah, I'll have to look into that because I don't even know what I'm doing this weekend yet. So <laughs> That's always great, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Those are the best weekends. All right, so that is the nature of the business, and also we got to talk about our friends over at uh, Raise Energy RevSports.com, code root four, R O O T number four gets you fifteen percent off any order. Again, that's code root four R O O T and the number four. With that, we get right into the heart of the episode, and that is what we talk about: what we are rooting for in the upcoming week, or what we had root for, excuse me, um, in the past week. And Dylan, it is your first time on the show, so. You've got about three years if you want to mm. pick anything in that three-year window <laughs> since you were not here last week. Uh, what do you got for us? What have you been rooting for lately? You know, I'm just – I'm rooting for – you know, NBA's back, right? Basketball's my favorite sport. So I'm just rooting for good NBA basketball. You know, this year there really isn't too many clear-cut favorites when it comes to who's the best team in the league, who's got the best chances to win the finals. So I'm just hoping for a, a competitive year, um, a little more fine-tuned than that. You know, there is a certain player in the league. He's not from Wisconsin, so I'll leave his. I'll leave him nameless, but he is in his 21st season. You can say Aver- it. You can say it. <laughs> Mr. LeBron James averaging, what is he averaging right now? 24, 9 and 8, 9 and 7, something along those lines. Um, at 38, it's pretty cool. You know, I'm hoping these Bucks can do a little bit better than their early playoff exit last year. Obviously, rooting for the Packers, hoping that Jordan Love and crew can pull it together and you know string some wins together here. A little rough, some growing pains. I'm sure we'll get into that later. But yeah, that's what I'm rooting for. Just some good competitive basketball. All right, Sean, what do you got for us? Uh, yeah, I, I'm gonna go with NBA too, because just I'm I'm excited for this year with how the Bucks went and made made some trades, and hopefully we can get another championship coming in. I'm also gonna stay the basketball route, but I'm gonna go the college basketball route. Now everybody knows. Um, I also want to shout out uh, Luxembourg Casco Spartans and their football team got another win on Friday night. That feels so long ago, even though it's less than a week, but. Uh, their season continues. Will not be on the call tomorrow night against Two Rivers. So the one versus the two with the opportunity to go on to level four. So, but my eyes will be on that game because if they do win, my season calling their their games continues. So we'll see. But anyway, I digress. Uh, college basketball also starting here pretty quick. Uh, we had Green Bay men and women's exhibitions. Throughout the week, um, Green Bay, the women have played two exhibition games, and they won both. Unofficially, they dominated a pretty young, stout team last week, Wednesday, and were able to skate by with a 
couple point victory against Northern Michigan uh, last night. Obviously, like I said, these are unofficial scores, so I I am not at liberty to mention them as they are technically private scores. But very interesting start to their season, and of course, I'd be remiss if we didn't talk about the start of the coach Sundance Wicks era for the UW Green Bay men. It was a squeaker. They pulled out a two-point win, unofficially, of course, against St. Norbert on Monday. Uh, St. Norbert, one of the best Division Three teams, really nationwide, especially here in the area. Um, so not an easy task, especially when you consider that only two players are returning from last season, or two players that played, three players total, because there was a red shirt in there as well. But uh, two players that logged minutes from last year's team returned. The rest is JUCO transfers, Division Two transfers, Division Three, and a number of other uh, guys coming in. So very exciting to watch. They both start their actual season this coming Monday. It'll be the men playing Iowa State. Welcome to Division One basketball as a head coach, Coach Wicks. We've got Iowa State at Iowa State, so the Cyclones. And the women uh, start their season on the road as well. Also in the state of Iowa at Northern Iowa, which is sure to be a barn burner. Uh, the College Insiders released their mid-major poll to start the season. Green Bay checked in at number six. Northern Iowa at number 10. So if you like mid-major women's basketball, this is one of the most exciting games on the opening night docket. And you're not going to want to miss it. And for that matter, women's college basketball might be at its peak that we have ever seen. There are some a number of superstars across the country who are going to be into their upperclassmen years and are going to be a lot of fun to watch. And obviously, you know, in the sporting world, not enough attention gets paid to uh, college women's basketball and the WNBA as a whole. Uh, that's a whole different topic. I'm not going to mm. touch that right now. <laughs> but... I will say, looking at like the mock draft of next year and who's all playing at the college level still, you've got Caitlin Clark, one of the best women's basketball players to ever do it. She's playing at Iowa, so not too far from here. You've got mm-hmm. Paige Beckers, the Minnesota native, playing for UConn, who might be my favorite women's basketball player I've ever watched play on TV in per you know whatever. She is an incredible athlete, incredible bounce. You've still got Angel Reese at LSU, the villain, the national champion winner. A number of other players also f- falling into that, again, those top 10 potential WNBA draft picks. So if you're ever kind of looking for a window to get into women's college basketball in the WNBA, after that, this season might be the season to pay attention and kind of, again, see some of these names playing incredible levels of basketball right now. So with that, though, instead of, from the positives, we go to the negatives. And that leads us to our Tyler Hero Noogie of the Week. <laughs> and Dylan, once again, I will let you lead this off. What has been negative? What are you willing to give a Noogie to? I'm going to go a few things again. And in, in theme with it being the Tyler Hero Noogie of the Week, I'm going to give it one to the Bucks for letting Tyler Hero drop 35 on him the other day. Um. I'm sure we'll touch on this later, but Bucks wing defense has been negative. Letting letting him score 35 in his homecoming, well, one of his homecomings back to Milwaukee 
not cool. Um, the big thing I'm going to say though is I didn't watch a whole lot of the Packers Vikings game, but <laughs> I did I did hear all the skull chants at Lambeau Field, and you just can't have that. So I don't know who to give that to. Whether it's you know you give it to the team for performing poorly, you give it to the fans for uh, allowing so many Vikings fans inside. But regardless, that's who I'm giving it to. All right, very solid nuggies. Sean, what do you got for us? Um, I'm going to go with Packer fans, like you usually do after we have a game like this. But I'm going <laughs> to go with it for a lot of the same reasons that Dylan just said is just not – we, we got to get more people that actually want to go to the games – to go instead of people just saying they have season tickets and selling their tickets for every home game. But it's it's just been rough this year. So that's what I'm going with. You know, I didn't want to do this. But you I, I Well, okay. I love <laughs> dumping on Packers fans. And I'm a Packer fan too, but I love dumping on internet Packer fans because – Honest to God, they are some of the dumbest people in my book. I mm. it, it, They drive me insane on a weekly basis. There were Packer fans expecting the team to be buyers at the deadline, which came and got, or came and went uh, yesterday, or Tuesday afternoon. And I am genuinely amazed at what purpose buying at the deadline this year would do any bit for this team where we don't know really a single thing about really any guy on this team right now. They are two and five. This isn't a team that's going to go to the playoffs. What, what position would you go out even and buy in on? Like what, what group would you even like look to? I mean, obviously a left tackle or any sort of offensive line help would be great, but it's not going to fix anything big picture. You know, there was rumors last week prior to the Vikings game that they were looking at the running back market. We mm-hmm. don't use the all-pro running back we have right now. Exactly. What, what's the point in going and acquiring somebody to fill that spot? I, I didn't understand it. I still don't understand it. I'm glad the, that uh, Brian Gutekunst and Mark Murphy and all those powers that be didn't buy into the stupid that was swirling around on the internet. But... Again, what, what, what are we even looking at at this point? It it just it continues to baffle me. Uh, we'll talk more about the game itself, but I I just wanted to add that in there. I didn't even know if I had a nugget this week because I've just been so peeved at the Packers every single week and the Packer fans in turn with that. So it's almost becoming numb at this point. Um, but yeah, so that's, that's where I'm at right now. I'm right there with you. Yep. Same here. All right. So with that in mind, we go on to our Wisconsin web story of the week. And I've got a good one for you guys this week. So a lot of people have heard this name and it's a very famous name associated with American Mafia, American Gangsters, etc. And that is one Jimmy Hoffa. 
one of the most infamous um, mafia members and and all that um, really ever, and especially in the last really this side of the Great Depression when you consider you know Dillinger, Capone, all those. So post that era of American mafia and gangsters, we're talking Jimmy Hoffa, right? And that is to say, so for those of you who don't know the story of Jimmy Hoffa, um, just disappeared. Never be seen again. Body has never been found. And that leads us to the latest in the cold case of Jimmy Hoffa that he could be buried at the site of one of Wisconsin stadiums. Hmm. Most specifically, Milwaukee County Stadium. Uh, this article coming courtesy of the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel. And just to kind of go through it, I'm not going to read the whole thing here, but this coming from author J.R. Radcliffe. Uh, could the answer to one of the greatest unsolved mysteries in American history be lying just outside Hellfair Field, the youth baseball uh, diamond adjacent to American Family Field, home of the Milwaukee Brewers, an organization called the Case Breakers, which has dedicated itself to gathering new information on some of the country's biggest cold cases and other solved, unsolved crimes, has zeroed in on an area that used to be part of Milwaukee County Stadium. It says it has information suggesting Hoffa's body was moved to a site around third base the venue in September of 1995. Uh, the case breakers say they have a piece of evidence that first pointed them in Milwaukee's direction, and they have de also deployed some high-tech resources to accurately locate a possible body. But all uh, so this is a quote from the article. But uh, also a dog that can locate human remains through concrete. Okay, let's explain some of this. So again, who was Jimmy Hoffa? Hoffa was the Teamsters president from 1957 to 71, and an American labor union leader who famously became involved with organized crime leading to convictions of jury tampering and fraud. He spent more than four years in prison, and in 19, July of 1975, Hoffa disappeared from a restaurant in Bloomfield Hills, Michigan, just outside of Detroit, and his body has never been found. He was de declared legally dead in 1982, and rumors of his remains' whereabouts have surfaced regularly. The FBI has attempted to exhume his remains five times at spots in Michigan and twice at locations in New Jersey, though neither of those have been at the Meadowlands Sports Complex, where popular urban myth, myth believes that Hoffa was buried during construction of the old Giant Stadium, which opened in 1976. So obviously the first question is, why Milwaukee? Casebreakers believe that Hoffa's remains were moved to Milwaukee County Stadium in 1995. The piece of evidence upon which they've built this theory is a playing card left by Sergeant Harold Walters for his niece. According to the group's research, Walters had been indicted for jewelry robbery and became an associate of Chicago Mafia Don Joey, Joey Iupa. In 1996, a year before he had died, Walters showed the ace of spades to his niece, Michelle, a county deputy, and indicated that if something happens to me, you'll know what to do. On this card is written Hoffa's name, as well as Iupa's, and third base Milwaukee Ballpark 916 or 9, 1995 A member of the Case Breakers team with a law, long history in law enforcement, Jim Zimmerman, had a pre-existing relationship with Michelle, who dug up the card in 2020 after Zimmerman's research had connected Walters to some level of involvement in Hoffa's disappearance. Uh, the next question that this article poses, are we supposed to literally interpret that as under third base at County Stadium? 
The case breakers appear to the- uh, think so. In fact, they utilized aerial photographs and GPS satellite images to find exactly where third base would have been located at the old stadium within five feet. Perhaps the biggest scandal is that it appears home plate isn't exactly where the commemorative marker indicates inside Health Fairfield Complex uh, on the third base side. So basically with that, that they, um, if you ever go there, they are supposed to have a plaque that indicates this was home plate at County Stadium. Apparently it's off from what the code breakers have found or case breakers. So big controversy there. Instead, it, they've located an area on the walkway outside the health fair gates. They've been located or they've been looking into this location since they learned of the card three years ago. This is where a dog named Moxie comes in. <laughs> the case breakers team came to the site on October 2nd, 2023 <clears throat> with K9 cadaver seeking dog named Moxie who has a reputation for locating bodies. Moxie, who has assisted in search and rescue missions and body recoveries, apparently barked and nosed her way into four hits at the stadium's old third base location. The leader of the case breakers, Thomas J. Colbert, told Fox News that the next natural step is to dig at the site, and his team claims that federal agents have agreed to at least explore that possibility. So the next thing here says, uh, hold on, they're really going to tear apart the Brewers' parking lot to look for Jimmy Hoffa, uh, which at this point, J.R. Radcliffe says, it's unclear to us. Neither the Brewers nor the FBI have immediately returned requests for information on their level of cooperation. Can we go back to the point where you said where Jimmy Hoffa was buried at third base in the middle of a baseball season? This po- uh, question poses. Well, it's true that the Brewers were out of town on a road trip September 16th, 1995, the Brewers still had nine games to play that season, so it seems a little unlikely that conspirators could have buried a body legitimately below third base. We can find a video of the next Brewers home game from September 26, 1995, and third base surely looks pristine as always. Not that a screen capture can tell us much, certainly no more than a dog can sense the dead under the concrete. <laughs> and then the next question says, are we sure Milwaukee Ballpark is even County Stadium? Surely the conspirators would have been counting on the eventual demolition of the stadium. This is where I think it gets the most interesting. The demolition that awaited County Stadium couldn't have been part of the equation. In fact, the very date that's written on the card is about the time local fans were facing the strong likelihood that the Brewers would leave Milwaukee without a new stadium, as financing had not been approved. Kind of eerie how time seems to repeat itself. Some were even worried that the 1995 season could be the last in the team, uh, last team, uh, the team's last in town, without an agreement. On September 21st, Milwaukee Journal Sentinel identified State Senator Peggy Rosenzweig, uh, that's a hell of a last name, as one of the Milwaukee area legislators pushing for Racine County to be added as the fifth county in the sales tax, re- tax region that would help pay for a new stadium. A proposal that was met with resistance from State Senator George Petek who represented Racine. As Brewer fans well know, one month later, PTAC would change his mind, casting a swing vote that would potentially alter the course of baseball history in Wisconsin. In other words, while there were questions who, if anyone, would be playing inside County Stadium, no one, nobody was yet sure that that site would become a construction zone in the next five years. So the next question this poses is, so is the case breakers like a podcast or something? Uh, apparently, this is a very legitimate organization with numerous experts in forensic sciences and law enforcement, so it's not just another true crime podcast. 
The organization has specific or specialized in following some of America's most baffling stories, including Hoffa, DB Cooper, the Zodiac Killer, and the Atlanta Murders. The organization's website proclaims that it has had a hand in solving aspects in all four crimes. In 2021, the case breakers announced that they had identified the Zodiac Killer, but police and the FBI pushed back on that assertion. So potential rumblings within the old county stadium in Milwaukee. The only answer is to go dig it up. Right. I'd have to agree. When I saw that, I, I mean, I was originally, guys, for our uh, Wisconsin Web Story of the Week, 20, what was it? I think I found this yesterday. Uh, yeah, it was posted at 201 yesterday. So had I not been scrolling through Facebook yesterday evening, a couple hours later, I might not have found this. Our initial Wisconsin Web Story of the Week would have been looking back at a graphic uh, where the people that be here, it looks like it was a barstool graphic, uh, power ranked all 124 major sports teams in the U.S. Uh, at the time, which is funny how things have come, uh, the Milwaukee Bucks were ranked ninth in all, of, all four major sports. Mm. The Packers were 19th. And the Milwaukee Brewers were 48th out of the 124 sports teams. It's not a bad initial ranking. No. So consider where we were a year ago. That seems about right. Now, at this time, here in 2023, I feel like based on what they have here, so they have the Golden State Warriors, number one team, Tampa Bay Lightning, Kansas City Chiefs, Houston Astros, Los Angeles Dodgers, uh, Atlanta Braves, Los Angeles Rams, Colorado Avalanche, the Milwaukee Bucks, and the Buffalo Bills wrapping up the top ten. I think you could make the argument Milwaukee could be the Milwaukee Bucks could be a top five in this portion. Um, Golden State's still up there. You got to throw a Denver Nuggets in there. Uh, the Texas the Rangers Nuggets uh, being absent there is what shocked me the most. Yeah, as of this graphic, which again, this was a year ago, uh, they were 43rd. Wow. Um, also kind of worth mentioning here, the Texas Rangers, who just won the World Series last night. I'm struggling to even find them in here, to be honest with you guys. They... They were 85th. Wow. Now, they made some big acquisitions that in the deadline and also um, in the offseason last year. So this was, again, prior to that coming out. But 85th to the best team in baseball. I mean, you can you can argue that they probably had the best postseason. Obviously, they had the best postseason run because of the World Series. But that they really had one of the better regular seasons all year and really made a good run here. So I, I would obviously move them up. Uh, interestingly enough, the Las Vegas Knights. Golden Knights, who would go on to win the Stanley Cup this last season, they were 34th. So really, only the Chiefs, who are the reigning NFL champions, are in that approximate, you know, t- proper area a year later. So, very interesting how that breaks down. Mm. Um, I would love for this to be revisited. Obviously, I would say the Packers are not top 20 anymore. No, gosh, no. Not even close. Um, the Brewers have some questions. We'll talk about the Milwaukee Brewers here in a little bit, but the Brewers do have some question marks where they very well could be in that top 
40 or so. But they also very much could fall quite significantly as well. So uh, we will keep our eyes on that. So with that in mind, well, first of all, do you guys have any other Wisconsin web stories of the week? No, I don't think I got nothing. Nope, I got nothing. All right. So as much, so with that in mind, uh, just to get into our sports of the episode, we're kind of cruising along here, which I'm sure will come off the rails here at some point. But as of right now, we're doing pretty good. Yeah, we're uh, Eric. <laughs> uh, we talk about the world of sports, and we'll start with the world of baseball. We'll make this one pretty quick. The Texas Rangers, as I had just mentioned, won the World Series last night, so hats off to them. Defeated the Arizona Diamondbacks in five games. So pretty, pretty convincing, convincing win. win, absolutely. Um, I got to watch a good chunk of last night's game, and Nathan Avaldi, uh, who's probably up to last night, was best known for his stint with the Boston Red Sox in the 2018 championship was nothing short of incredible. I mean, the guy got in and out of every jam. I think every inning, the first five innings, he faced runners in scoring position and held the Arizona Diamondbacks, who had a potent offense, to 0 for 9 with runners in scoring position to shut the uh, Diamondbacks out. And became only, the, I believe, the fourth pitcher all-time to win five or more postseason games in a single postseason. So Nathan Ovaldi, big postseason for him. Uh, Corey Seager became one of the rare players to have two World Series MVPs with different teams. So also a credit to his incredible postseason uh providing a lot of power for that Rangers offense. So that puts a wrap on baseball. Um, As of today, a number of Milwaukee Brewers became free agents. And that list, as of this afternoon, was Victor Caratini, Josh Donaldson, Colin Ray, Darren Ruff, Carlos Santana, and Jesse Winker. Uh, Colin Ray has already been re-signed by the Brewers, which... Not knowing the status of Brandon Woodruff for next season, I guess is a good enough move. I don't love it. He's not the most must-sign of that group to me. I, I would say it's probably Victor Caratini or think, Carlos I was, Santana. I going to say, I think that's um, your biggest one you got to re-sign. But regardless, I mean, you can... I. Santana's the start of the wish list for me, but I think Caratini might be more valuable, if that makes sense. Where I think Caratini, what he brings is he's a very solid bat as your backup catcher, um, especially considering he was basically the personal catcher for Corbin Burns. So we will continue to see on what they do with him because you have a lot of players kind of approaching that end of their arbitration eligibility. So very interested to see what the Milwaukee Brewers do. Um, I could very well see them moving on from Corbin Burns, potentially Willie Adamas, and looking a lot different. Also, as of yesterday, uh, Craig Council is a free agent as well as the manager position. Um, He has already interviewed, and I believe he has an offer from the Cleveland Guardians. The Mets job, 
I'm assuming the interview is more of a formality. He will probably get an offer for that job as well if he wants it. Still, I mean, take it for what it's uh, it, you know, worth a grain of salt. Take it for what it's worth. Um, there are reports saying that he's very interested in that job. But again, that very well could be a source from inside the Mets. So you really, until it happens, you really don't know. Um, Dylan, I know you're not a huge baseball guy, so I'm going to put you on the spot here. Mm, that's okay. <laughs> but very interested to see as a non-baseball fan, but also who pays attention, just enough to kind of know the ins and outs. What are your thoughts on, first of all, the Craig Council era and also the Brewers as a whole as to where they stand right now? Well, again, like you said, I pay almost almost zero attention to baseball other than checking the scores, seeing how the Brewers are doing. Um, but one thing I have noticed is Craig Council has flipped the organization quite a bit during his tenure. So, you know, we've had a couple disappointing postseasons in the last, what, five, six years. But, you know, it, it beats not making the playoffs. So, you know, I, I guess I see Craig Council is generally positively favored in the Brewer community um, within the organization as well. So I don't really see them wanting to move on from him. And I guess someone from my perspective is, you know, you kind of got a good thing rolling right now. You don't necessarily need to change things up quite that much. And, you know, if he likes it here, make him an offer he likes and he'll probably stay. Sean? I, I think the Mets are going to offer him way too much money. And I, I really, really feel like he's just going to go there. And I really don't think it's going to pan out all that well. I think he's going to struggle with just the team that he's going to end up with. Too many, too many... Yeah, I, I'm very curious. I mean, the money itself to go to the Mets is definitely enticing. Uh, a lot of rumors flying around that he wants to reset the manager's market and get upwards of $10 million a season, which you could definitely argue that he's one of the managers that has done less with more or more with less. Um, in all of baseball, especially when you consider the Brewers' so-called financial constraints, where their biggest season in terms of what they're spending is like $120, $130 million, where we look back even at the beginning, kind of in the early parts of his tenure, when the Brewers were competing for the NLCS, they were barely crossing $100 million. Like, that was franchise record-setting, which... I mean, we compare that to what the payroll of the Mets is, I believe, was almost triple that. Yeah. For sure, double. Um, but the most intriguing part of the whole thing to me is I don't really foresee Craig Council as a New York media guy. Right. I think that with the whole thing. And I just, I cannot personally foresee him wanting to take that role because of how Mets media and the New York media market in general, how daunting they can be. Now, is that a hard and fast, like it won't happen at all? No. 
but that is the most intriguing part of the whole thing to me. Um, that coupled with the fact that there's a decent possibility he just doesn't want to manage next year. And that very well could be the most realistic possibility. Both of his sons are going to be playing in college and having that uh, freedom to be able to watch them finally and not be you know, on the road for weeks at a time from really from February to October, I think is definitely intriguing after what, like nine years or eight years now since middle of 2015, he took over. So very intrigued by that possibility as well. But in terms of the Brewers, again, long off season coming up here, a lot of decisions to be made. Um, like I said, you have a lot of guys who are, do you try to trade them now and capitalize on the market that could be there for them while there still is some sway, or are you going to be looking in this time next off season or even in July where you try to run it back one last time? It didn't work out. You didn't send extensions with any of these guys. Like what, what are you truly going to be able to do and maximize this roster in the long term. So that's the most intriguing for me. Um, prior to the knowledge of the Brandon Woodruff injury, I would say you probably look to trade him or Burns. Probably Burns is going to have the most appeal nationally. Uh, with Woodruff, again, it only complicates things. Of Do you want to go through at least a one-year rebuild, trade burns, kind of just see what you can do to stay afloat. Um, Woodruff's injury, apparently, though, could be potentially coming around and be healthy sooner rather than later. After his second consult, he was getting information that uh, he may be back within the 2024 season, which would be very surprising compared to the initial prognosis, but also a very realistic possibility, especially... We consider the different injuries that guys have come back from a lot quicker as of the last probably five years or so. Even over the last 10 years where you look at the dominance that some of these guys are having when they come back. I wouldn't totally rule it out. So we will see, but that is our stint on the Brewers and we will continue to provide updates as they become available. Probably the one Dylan's most excited for is staying in the city of Milwaukee, looking at the Milwaukee Bucks. And the Milwaukee Bucks, I believe, are 2-2 two and two on the season. Mm-hmm. Um, two very nice wins, but also two very tough-to-watch defeats. So yeah. I'm going to defer this to you, Dylan, because I know Sean and I are kind of in the same spot, but... We had been talking about this earlier today and talking about the kind of the hard part of watching the early season or watching early season basketball here um, is that these games seem to have a lot more sway just because it's early and it really hasn't gotten going. But you had some frustrations you wanted to vent here. So by all means, the floor is yours. Yeah. So my biggest complaint in watching these guys is it's like watching two different teams, right? So those two wins that they got, they beat Miami and they beat Philly. And those were, those were for the most part, those were good wins. You know, the whole team was clicking. Um, and then these, these 
these terrible, terrible losses against Atlanta and and Toronto. Granted, Toronto's a Toronto's a pretty good team so far this year, but it's like watching two different teams. It's it's so frustrating. Um, what I'm what I'm worried about with this team is they're going to fall in the same trap as the 2010, 2011 heat. Um, and what I mean by that is basically, you know, that's the first year when LeBron Wade and Bosch were together, you know, you had a very clear three third option, Chris Bosch. And then you had LeBron and Dwayne Wade basically fighting for that second option. Neither one wanted to be the first option which was weird to me. I, you know, obviously Dwayne Wade wanted LeBron to be the one option because prime LeBron James, he just came off back-to-back MVPs and <laughs> LeBron wanted Wade to be the one option because that's, you know, it was Wade's team. It was heat. Uh, you know, they did well. They were talented. Their talent took them to the finals, but then they collapsed. Right. And then at the beginning of the next season, Wade was basically like, you know, LeBron, you're the best player in the world act like it right so now we kind of have that same situation in milwaukee with Giannis and lillard where Giannis has been vocal about you know this is this is lillard's team now he's the one option and i don't think that's true and i think they need to get that worked out or they're going to find themselves in a similar situation maybe they don't have quite talent that a, a 2010 lebron and wade had but, I mean, they're up there. They're a very talented duo. They're arguably the best duo in the league right now, right? So I think that's a bug that needs to get worked out. They need to find a clear one option and a clear two option. Well, damn. And, you uh, you just took a lot of what my usual argument on this <laughs> is. Because, honest to God, I I have watched more – early season, like October slash November NBA basketball this year, and that's basically two games. Then I have probably mm-hmm. the last one, what, 27 now? So the last 26 years of my life combined. Mm-hmm. Um, but my big thing with this year's Bucks team, and I just, maybe it's going to calm you down. Maybe it's going to fire you up. Cause that's a very, this is a, that your point you just made is a very valid point of why I'm mm-hmm. not correct on this. But my biggest point is the Milwaukee Bucks, where they sit today in the in the year 2023 going into year 2024, they're kind of at that same point LeBron had been with the Heat, with the Cavs again, and really especially with the Cavs in his second stint with them, is it really shouldn't matter where they're seated you know they're going to get in the dance. You know that you have guys. You still have Chris Middleton on this team. And granted, he's been on a minutes restriction. But as right. long as you're finishing not, you know, 7-8 seed, you're going to be in a pretty solid spot with the roster that they have, as is right now. I mean, taking a look at this box score, even from last night, struggle of a game, um, 130-111 loss to Toronto. Uh, Giannis, 16 points in 28 minutes. Chris Middleton, 11 points in 17 minutes. Brooke Lopez, 6 points. Damian Lillard, 15. Malik Beasley, the leading scorer for the Bucks with 20. Uh, you also had Jay Crowder chipping in 9. Bobby Portis with 10. 
Uh, Marshawn Bochamp at eight. Uh, Tanias Antetokounmpo. I just murdered that. But <laughs> you murdered that name, yeah. Tanias Antetokounmpo. Uh, four minutes, no points. Campaign four points in nineteen minutes. Pat Connaughton only three points in twenty-three minutes. Uh, AJ Green with two points in six minutes, and Chris Livingston had. Let me see. He had five points in the six minutes he played. So you're not getting. You didn't get a whole lot of bench scoring, which is what it is. Uh, Robin Lopez was a healthy scratch last night, but you did have scoring, and that's kind of the thing that I'm. I'm most confident with this team. Is the bench scoring you did have, or the non superstar scoring you did have? I mean, Malik Beasley putting in twenty points last night. Chris Middleton only playing seventeen minutes and contributing. 11 points. He's playing the same amount of minutes as Brooke Lopez as a center. And we know how centers don't play much in the NBA these days. Jay Crowder giving you a solid nine points. Mike Porras chipping in 10. I mean, that's, those are all solid numbers to, I think are the point where they, this is a team that will figure it out long-term within this season. But as you mentioned, there's definitely a lot of chemistry to kind of work on and figure out between now and then as well. Well, it, another frustrating part is, you know, no offense to Malik Beasley because he did play well, but um, no offense to him, he he shouldn't be the leading scorer right. on our team with Giannis and Damian Lillard, right? And so, like you said, Giannis had 16. He had Malik Beasley had 20. He shot one less shot than Giannis. Giannis only shot 11 shots, and that you just can't have. He has to be getting more touches than that. Lillard was four for nine. He got to have more shots out of Lillard from that. It, you're just not going to win games when your two highest scoring options are combining for 20 shots. That's the frustrating part is I think these two are so busy fighting, trying to get the other guys open. and get everybody involved, but Giannis has to be the clear one. He has to get touch it. I think he should be touching the ball every possession. No question. So are you you thinking it's more just the chem chemistry wise or are we thinking it's the coaching staff just running I wouldn't say running plays, but just the coaching staff not giving them what they want. I think it's more of a chemistry thing than it is the coaching staff. Obviously, you got a first-year head coach, so there's going to be some, you know, some some pains with that. But I don't think that's too much of it. I think it's more again, Giannis and Lillard are just trying to get accustomed to each other, and I really think that Giannis has to go out and be the number one option. I think that's the biggest issue here. Yeah. Now, Dylan, you said something to me today that really made me think. And that was that, because I said to you, yeah, it's, a, it's an early in the season. There's going to be growing pains, new head coach. You said that at this point, that's only reserved for rookies and preseason. I want you to elaborate on that. Yeah. So preseason is when you're supposed to be getting these bugs worked out, in my opinion. Um you know, we don't have much for inexperience on this team. 
you know, Lillard, what's a Lillard? 32, I would say. Some, I think he's right around 32. Giannis is, at, I don't, Giannis is my age. I think he's 28, 29. Uh, but he's in his 11th season. So it's not like these are these guys are not used to playing NBA basketball. These are some of the best players in the world. You know, obviously we just strung together a championship a couple of years ago. Um, you know, I, there's not a super big reason for insane concern right now, but you know, the fact that we're two and two, those two losses that shouldn't have been losses. And then just the defensive struggles, cause there's a lot of defensive struggles. That's stuff that's going to need to get worked out. If these guys want to make a deep postseason run. Very valid point. So, again, you said only four games in. Not a whole lot of concern. On a scale of 1 to 10, 10 being panic, sky is falling, 1 being like Snoop Dogg with a joint chill. <laughs> Where are you 1 to 10? I'm going to say at this point, I'm like a 3 or a 4. You know, these losses aren't – these are bad losses. You know, there's no reason we should have lost to Atlanta. And honestly, there's no reason we should have lost to Toronto. So they're disappointing. And they're, you know, you watch the games in depth, you watch the highlights, and you can see the issues. And you're kind of like, okay, well, these definitely need to get worked out. You know, these, these are some, these are some major issues they got here, but we're only four games in. So they got time. You know, I still think they're going to end up, a one or a two seed. So I'm not super concerned, but these issues need to get worked out. If they want to get that far, you know, Boston's tough. Boston is going to be a tough team this year. And if they want to get to the finals or get that one seed, it's going to right now, it's going to go through Boston. Sean, what's your concern? One in 10. Uh, probably just a one. <laughs> you you know as well as I do, we gotta make we gotta make the playoffs, and then we'll go from there. That, that's the way I'm looking at it. Yeah, I'm probably in that same boat. I would, because of Dylan's points, I would upgrade my concern from a one to a two. So I'm still sitting on a beach somewhere, <laughs> feet in the air, you know, happy as a clam. But I think there there is a track of where you can kind of like, like you said, Dylan, you can look back at that. Now that you put that in my head, that 2011, 2010 heat team and be like concerned. Cause you can look at, like I said, you can look at Giannis. You could, you know, he's been very vocal. This is Dame's team. And you can see Dame not really wanting to take that from him. Mm-hmm. But Someone's got to step up. It's as simple as that. Right. Right. And whoever that's going to be, whether that be Giannis, whether it be Dame Lillard taking over, I don't think there's a wrong answer, but somebody has to do it. Exactly. So. In my head, it's got to be Giannis. Um. No, obviously, no disrespect to Damian Lillard. He's a fantastic basketball player, one of the best point guards in the game right now. But 
it's got to be Giannis. He's he is the better basketball player. You know, all around. You know, you could argue they're pretty on par as far as scoring is concerned. I mean, any one of them can go out and drop forty on any given night. Doesn't matter. But as far as rebound is concerned, um, defense, especially Giannis, is head and shoulders better. So, so I'm going to counter that, and I'm going to say I think it should be Damian Lillard. Okay. And why I think it should be Damian Lillard is a lot of what you just mentioned, but for the fact that I think Damian Lillard with the ball in his hand is a significantly better under-controlled aspect than compared to what Giannis, when he has the ball in his hand, it allows Giannis to be more of a slasher and not have to be the guy that creates every opportunity because we've seen him struggle with that at times. Mm-hmm. And we know he's not like a true – I mean, I, know, I remember when he first – when Jason Kidd first got fired and this team was really going through some stuff even prior to, prior to him getting hired. We always talked about, yeah, point forward Giannis. It was like this this brand-new concept of the, the guy who should be playing the four, playing the one. Mm-hmm. And he was getting a triple-double almost every given night, and it was on this insane streak. And that was back in, like, 2014, 2015. Or 2015, 2016. Um, and so with that, the Bucks. I mean, yeah, he developed a lot as a player in that time. But the Bucks were getting blown out every given night. I mean, a lot of that was not as important. And it allowed him to, mm-hmm. yeah, he developed a lot towards an NBA player. But I also think when you look at where he can thrive the most and what Damian Lillard does the best is Damian Lillard creates off the ball and off the dribble. Chris Middleton can become a true pop-up shooter. You have guys like um, Jay Crowder, who, again, can kind of take on 10 a night being your slashing scorer and a pop D, 3 and D kind of guy. You don't need him to be you know, anything more than like your fifth or sixth option. Which, when he got traded to Milwaukee, I did not expect him to be like a sixth man. But very much in that position to be like a sixth man of the year type candidate based on what if Milwaukee uses him correctly. Mm-hmm. You don't have to have Chris Middleton be your main offensive focus and be the shot creator because Chris Middleton has also struggled to create his own shots. So when you let them kind of not take a back seat, that's not the right word, but when you let somebody else really manifest the offense and really take over and be the true one and let those guys fall in and be like a 1B or you know even like a true 2, I think that is where the Bucks are going to thrive the most. Yeah, defensively, Giannis can be the one. Giannis has got the length. He's got the athletic ability where he's going to be guarding the best player most nights, especially with Drew Holiday being gone. But in terms of offensively, I think it's, it's Dame's team, and it should be Dame's team. Sean, what do you got? I think it's got to be Giannis. I just, I just feel like you you give Giannis control of the ball. Lillard's such a such a good spot up, like, not that he's a spot up shooter, but a spot up guy. 
you have Giannis drive and kick and all that kind of stuff. I think you got Damian Lillard scoring. Lillard might score more points, but Giannis has got to be the one. That's the way I'm looking at it. Yeah, so that's that's a fair perspective. So I just think the ball has to go through Giannis. Like, he has to be running the offense. If right. Lillard's the high scorer, I mean, who cares? Right. We had two guys scoring over 30 instead of one. Great. But, you know, as far as, you know, creating off the dribble, I think you've got to give that role to Giannis because Giannis isn't a spot-up shooter. Like, Giannis isn't going to be floating around the wing waiting for Lillard to drive and create a shot for him. That's what Giannis is going to do for everybody else. And that's what, when the Bucks' offense is clicking, that's what's happening. Giannis is driving to the hole. You know, he's, you know, he's, he's, he's scoring through triple teams in the lane, right? No one, he's not, he's not easily stopped. He's arguably the best player in the world. Probably the second best player in the world behind Jokic, but I digress. But that's got to be his role. And when he's, when he shies away from that role, the team just what just everyone else is just waiting, watching, waiting for something to happen and nothing really happens. So Giannis has to have the ball in my opinion. See, I would agree with you pre this season because they didn't really have that, that go-to scorer like they do now. They have a true, any possession you need a bucket kind of guy right now. Whereas I would argue, I don't think they had that. I mean, you could probably argue even going back pre-Ray Allen. Maybe Michael Red. Maybe. As the last, like, you need a bucket now, wherever it's going to come from, he can make it. Whereas Giannis is so offensively limited at times and that's that's not the right word for it either but it's the word i'm going to use here because he's not a true threat to spot up and shoot like you guys said i mean you can run a lot of pick and roll and i think you can use him in either role and i think it's very believable i i just think that if dame's creating off the dribble where you finally have an opportunity to, to really run that and be able to create or, you know, just pop a shot off a dribble or, you know, again, you can, you can run, I think you can run, you know, 1A, 1B almost. I know that that's your main concern, Dylan. Mm-hmm. I think there's a way to do it and still prosper without, you know, without guys trying to fall in line too much either. Because I, I do agree with you that the offense does thrive when he's going towards the rim. Whether he has the ball, whether he's slashing, cutting, whatever. Like he, he needs to be actively involved in the offense. Whether he has the ball and he's taking defenders with him and able to kick out for a three to Dame or to Middleton or Beasley or Payne, whoever. Or Crowder for that matter. But also I think there is a, a factor that because he's not going to be the spot-up shooter – you know he's going to drive to the paint. Yeah, you can try to stop him. It's going to be a pain in the ass because he is so dominant. But you can kind of limit him. We've seen that happen in the playoffs when you know he's coming downhill. You can sag off a little bit because he's not going to shoot it. 
Right. And that's where having someone like Lillard does help. Um, you know, he's, what was he shooting for three point percentage this season? Um, you know, he's only shooting 29% from three. Brooke Lopez is shoot has a better three point percentage right now. You know, Beasley, even Malik Beasley is shooting 46% from three. So they have their fair share of spot up shooters. Cameron Payne, Jake Crowder are all at 50%. Bo Champs at 50%. So this is a decent shooting team here. Um, but Giannis is shooting 14% from three. That's not good by any standards. <laughs> so you can't have him just wandering around the three-point line waiting for Lillard to make something happen and for him to have an open three because I don't want him shooting threes and no one should want him shooting threes right now. Oh, hell no. No, not, like even, said, not even a little. No. We want him going to the basket, going hard to the basket. And I think he has to have the ball to do that. I'll concede that, I guess. Like I said, I I think you can make it work where if he comes off a pass, kind of like a looping behind, get a, let him get a full head of steam. Yeah, yeah. Because, again, he doesn't have that, cre- that, that credibility just walking the ball up the floor. You know what's going to happen. Well, it's no, I'm of- not. Av- I'm not advocating for him being a point forward. You know, if he's got the ball and he's got his head of steam, yeah, don't pass it, just go. But I'm just saying, you know, obviously Lillard's going to bring the ball up. He's the point guard, but Giannis just has to touch the ball at some point during every possession because would, he's the he's agree. the creator. I would largely agree with that. You, you got to have him creating stuff. I think. I think that's where he's at his most valuable, and you don't want to remove Giannis's most valuable asset from the team. I would agree with that. I will. I will concede that. So a three or a four on the panic meter from Dylan, a one for Sean, and a like a two for me. Uh, other one other piece of Bucks news off the floor. They did release their new city edition jersey for the year today and i don't sean and you guys have you both seen it now yeah i've seen it this might be one of my favorites that they've done i like so it's it's kind of hard to explain a visual to over an audio method here but it is very similar to the blue jerseys they've had in the past but with the caveat the twist of that they do have, for lack of a better term, like speckling on it to like signify the Bucks fans outside the Deer District, like during the championship and during the playoff runs and the watch parties, which I think is like the coolest thing that I would have never thought of. Yeah, these are really cool jerseys. I'm definitely gonna have to get one. If they make one in size big guy, I'm all <laughs> over that. In size, Eric. Yeah. <laughs> but honestly, it, not these are incredible. Um, and really, I mean, one of my favorite of the city editions, the, and I, I love the fact that it does have the Deer District and the bottom corner by the logo. 
if you're kind of flipping through, like right below, so it's got the Milwaukee, the 30, you know, whatever number, or the mm-hmm. picture's 34. But then right above, like, the NBA logo, like the size and all that, mm-hmm. you get a little state of Wisconsin, Deer District, and then Gathering Place. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of the merch is really cool, too. So if they do not make a size Eric jersey, I can guarantee there's <laughs> going to be a, a City Edition hat, at the very least. There you go. Um. I you know I was gonna use this for my noogie. I got so fired up about Packer fans. Some of these jerseys, you know, we've had we've had an incredible year for jerseys. I mean, we saw the debut of the Houston or the Tennessee Titans wearing their Houston Oilers inspired NFL jerseys last week. We saw the Detroit Lions having their alternate helmet with the all gray look. We have had some incredible uh, the Philadelphia Eagles going back to the Kelly Greens. The Seahawks going back to the classic blue and gold, or blue and silver and green. But some of these City Edition jerseys, for as good as that's all been, are not good. Simple as that. Um, and I, I hate to say it, but even though the, I think the worst one might be the Lakers. The Lakers one, and maybe the Nets, are just ugly as sin. Um, the Nets one looks very 90s-esque. I, I think that's the only way to describe it. Looks like a, it looks like the floor at like a bowling alley. I don't know. I kind of like, like the Nets one. Like you said, it's, it's, it's 90s-esque. I mean, look at – do you have a picture up with all the other jerseys? I've been I've, – I've got uh, the different – they've got, I've got one that has like four by four or two by two and like – or quads, I guess. I mean, they're all really bland, except for the Nets. I mean, there's no real texture to any of them other than the Nets and the Utah the one. The Utah one looks sharp. I do like the Utah one. I kind of like the Minnesota one with the blending as well. Yeah, the Minnesota one does look good, but okay. I like. I mean, the worst one is not the Lakers. The worst one. Very well might be. Very well might be the Heat. That is I, that's, bad. Yeah. All they did was add the word culture. <laughs> it made the the word Heat smaller. Yeah. I mean, Houston's doesn't look that great. I don't love Houston. Just says H Town. Orlando's looks like a practice jersey. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm guessing that's Philadelphia City of Brotherly Love. Yeah, that's hard to identify. That's not very noticeable. Um, Detroit's very bland. I'm trying to even find Detroit's. Oh, yep. It just it says Detroit. It's black with red stripes <laughs> and says Detroit. Yeah, a lot of these, the Mavs one, very uninspired. Uh, New York Cleveland... just looks like their normal jersey. Knicks. Oh sure. I think the DC the the Wizards one's really intriguing. Um a lot of possibilities there. I don't mm-hmm. love I don't get the color scheme on that one. Mm. Um I get Toronto's, I don't love it. I'm very over the Drake inspired OPO <laughs> yeah. black and gold for the Raptors. I mean, 
this is coming from a franchise that has like the Vince Carter, Tracy McGrady, like purple and like the cartoon dinosaur to work with and mm-hmm. just refuses to go with it for Drake for some reason. The, yeah, the, I, Thunder, I the Thunder one looks like the McDonald's. If McDonald's had a basketball team, like a gym basketball team, like a rec league basketball team, that'd be the OKC one. Yeah, right. Um, the Kings, I think. I don't, Kings are okay. They're, yeah. Um, the Pelicans one, I, I, I guess. See, I feel like that one should be more like what uh, the Nets is with the color. Like, it should have more color to it. I mean, you're talking about. Right. New Orleans, you think of Mardi Gras, you think of like the Saints, and you're really just going black and like neon green. Um, yeah, I'm not, I'm not real impressed with any of these. I don't really get the Indianapolis or the Pacers one. I'm sure it looks sweet with Tyrese Halliburton. Oh yeah, I mean it's gonna look cool. Uh, I like the the Denver Nuggets. I like having instead of having Nuggets or whatever. I like the five two eight zero. Mm-hmm. Um, really just a middle finger to the rest of the world using the metric system. <laughs> uh, big fan of that. San Antonio's I'm very unsure on. I could see that looking really cool, but also looks like a can of beef jerky. <laughs> or a cigarette box. Um, I'm guessing that Memphis is, is the one, yeah, it's got like just Bars. It looks like Adidas bars oh. almost. Yeah. Cleveland's probably would have been cooler in the LeBron era. The land with the uh, the red and or the, like the maroon and the gold trim. That would have been cooler some time ago. I don't love the Chicago one. I don't really love the Warriors one. The Boston one I kind of like. Mm-hmm. I like when they incorporate like the deep green and the gold, really kind of embracing like the Irish, like you know, kind of like the Notre Dame look almost. That'd be a really cool Notre Dame jersey. And the or just to kind of wrap up here, Air, um, the Phoenix Suns do what they basically always do. So. If you do yeah, want to much. follow along with our, if you do want to follow along with our conversation on this, you can go to uh, Bleacher Report or any number of basketball content uh, websites to see these. But go ahead, Dylan. Yeah, I was going to say Suns. You know, those are just pretty uh, standard colors for them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think you know if I'm if I'm ranking them. As far as creativity goes, I don't even know. <laughs> I don't even know. Utah's Utah's is up there. Milwaukee's is up there. I'm a little biased there. Denver's is cool. Just they went a little bit different, other than just putting their name or adding a word. You know, so I don't know. I give an F to Houston. I give an F to the Heat. I give an F to the Cavs. To Atlanta, to Detroit. <laughs> Not real impressed. Not real impressed. Sean, any thoughts? No, I, I, I like the Toronto one. I like the black and gold. I don't know why. 
Big Drake fan, I see. Right. <laughs> but like you said, it should be something with with the di- with the Raptor that they had in the nineties. Mm-hmm. Going back to that, because those are always the coolest jerseys. Do they do throwbacks? Do they do throwbacks? I believe they have four. They should have four jerseys, and they should have like a throwback edition. I'd have to look at. There's like a statements. I gotta think of what they all because they have like statements, home away, and. Because mm-hmm. do the Bucks have the one where they got the the actual buck on the jersey, like they had back in the early two thousands, or no? I have to think now. I know they did last year. I think they do have a throwback style. Or is it going to be just the the green and? I think that'd be. I think they call it the association one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're right. I do. I do like that one. Yeah, I'm trying to scroll through here. Shauna is telling me. I I sent her the Instagram post. She says they all suck except the Bucks. <laughs> and she was criticizing us because a this is again an audio format and not. <laughs> great um but she also said that we're not fashionistas and we have yeah. no opinion uh she has also added that she does like indian or the pacers she does like utah's and that might be it she said the rest barf <laughs> yeah i i i I didn't even notice it because it was so bad, but look at San Antonio's. It's just white. With Like I said, it looks like a cigarette box. Yeah, I didn't even notice it until right now because that's how bland it is. It's just why even look at it. It looks like a throwback to like the initial, like original Taco Bell logo. Like they, sh- they should go back to the one. Don't they have ones that have like a light blue in it? The Spurs? Yes. Wait, I, I, I know that sound familiar. Yes, they do have, they should have one that goes to that, um, I want to say it would have had to been in the 90s. Yeah, that the turquoise. Is, yeah, turquoise ones. Yeah, that sounds right. The Baja Blast colored. Yep. <laughs> but yeah, that one, San Antonio Spurs, looks definitely like a cigarette box. Bottom corner, like the third, second one in Shauna. Bottom left. Maybe the third one in. San Francisco? No, San Antonio. It's white. Well, San Francisco's isn't much better, so. (laughs) No, it's white. It says San Antonio. Oh. Cigarette box? Yeah, like almost like a Marlboro box of. No, that would be cool if they went with the Kelly Green Eagles jerseys for the 76ers. Well, yeah, I have a little creativity here. Well, tie it you to know? other, tie it to the other sports teams, right? Like you said, tie it to you know the Kelly Green or, you know, even the Phillies. Throw some pinstriping on there or something. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Like that creativity cool. here is is very disappointing, right? Lack thereof, I should say. Except for the Bucks, the Bucks one was very creative, and I like it a lot. All right. Moving on, uh, we'll stay in the Washington Go to the World of Football as we look at the Badgers, who, by the way, did cover against Ohio State. 
<laughs> for the first time, I think, in like four years. <laughs> or two years, three years, something like that. I don't know. But they have struggled. Uh, they did lose Braylon Allen throughout that game. I would say, kind of looking back, they actually had shots to stay with them. With Ohio State, only ended up uh, scoring 24-10. It was a 14.5-point spread. So it was a backdoor cover. It was barely covering, but a cover nonetheless. Um, Braylon Allen led the ground attack, 10 carries, 50 yards. Braden Locke, 18-39, of 39, 164 yards, one touchdown. Uh, with that going to Will Pauling, who had four catches, 51 yards. Um <clears throat> Marvin Harrison Jr. did his thing. Six catches, 123 yards, two touchdowns. Another insane game from the potential number one overall draft pick. Depending on who has that spot. I've seen mock drafts with him going number one overall. Mm-hmm. So, potentially could be a number one overall pick. Definitely a top five pick. Um, which we'll talk more about potentially here in just a little bit. But, Badgers... I was very impressed defensively. Mm -hmm. I thought for sure. I mean, we talked about it last week pretty extensively, Sean, that for the Badgers to even have a prayer in this game, they had to limit Ohio State offensively. had to be a low-scoring game, which truly, I mean, it was. Like, they did everything you could really ask for. Just not – just didn't score. Right. So – I, I really can't complain. Like, I mean, I would love to sit here and be negative and be like, well, you know, got to get wins, blah, blah, blah. But really, I mean, with the improvements we've seen with Braden Locke commanding this offense, really kind of getting, I would say, the first true look at this new era of Badger football and the new style. Um. I was fairly impressed, and I really I think this is a game that can go, will go a long way for Badger football. So we look ahead, um, as there's no other choice to do so. The Badgers <laughs> do play; they go on the road to play Indiana this coming week. That'll be Saturday at 11 a.m. And the Badgers are favored by nine and a half against the two and six Hoosiers. So very. I would hope we can pull that one out. Right. I I have. I mean, again, we're still no official word on Braylon Allen's injury. He did sprain his ankle. So, even without him, though, I would say that that should be a pretty sufficient margin. That shouldn't be too much of a concern to get the. A 10-point win, a two-score win over the hapless Indiana Pacers. Or Indiana Pacers. Indiana, <laughs> Indiana Hoosiers. We talked a lot of basketball. More than I'm used to talking about in November. Give me a break. Sorry. Um, but, yeah, so that should be a – on paper, it should be a pretty solid opportunity to get a huge win and get back in the winning column and make your case for being the best team in the West division. Yeah. You know, I was looking at the remainder of the schedule. You're at Indiana then you got Northwestern and Nebraska at home. And then you're at Minnesota. So, you know, we're sitting at five and three right now, three and two in conference. 
you know, these, you know, Northwestern and Indiana should, should be wins. Um, I don't know how else to put that, you know, Nebraska and Minnesota are both going to be tougher games, but you know, if, if they can, if they can squeak out four wins here, that's, that's not a half bad season. Right. Well, right now, looking at the West Division, they do have Iowa as a game ahead of them, or has a tiebreaker over them. Right. Uh, Minnesota, Iowa, Nebraska, all tied, and Wisconsin, all tied at three and two in the Big Ten. Mm-hmm. Um, they do have to play Minnesota yet, so that is in their favor. Uh, obviously, with how college sports work, the odds on that one aren't out yet, mm-hmm. but are in a very good position. I would say, you know, having watched both teams a couple times now to potentially get the axe back. That game is in Minnesota, though. So very always a close matchup with these teams. Uh, they do play Nebraska as well, yet as well. So both of those could have some extra meaning here down the stretches. Like I said, of trying to get that West Division title and go back to Indianapolis for the first time in a few years now. Mm-hmm. So... That's a look at the Badgers, which brings us to staying in the world of football, but looking at the NFL. Uh, first, got to give the listeners the update on the Rupert Wisconsin Fantasy Football League. And it was a pretty fun week, I think, for the two of us, Sean. Mm-hmm. Shauna, not so much. She is still <laughs> a, not a happy camper. Um, as Tyson did continue his undefeated reign in the Rupert Wisconsin League. So not a happy camper here for Shauna. She took a loss to Tyson. Um, because Sean wouldn't give me Christian McCaffrey. Because Sean wouldn't give her, her Christian McCaffrey, she says. He didn't do shit this week anyways, so. That's not true. It is. He said that he didn't do shit this week anyway. Ah. Oh. Sean, you put up 200 <laughs> points this last week. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> what do you mean? You put up 200 points, so let's go through these. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. I'll start uh, just from because my phone. Uh, got a somehow a miraculous win against my brother. So Kamish Fish goes to 4-4 four and four on the season. Mark falls to 1-7 with a 91.58 to 55.1. Uh, Devontae Adams having a one-catch game did absolutely zero for Mark. Right. Um so not a, he wasn't a fan of that. Uh, Ramsey gets a win this week over Jordan Fifield, 115-48 to 48, uh, to 100.32. The Lambeau Chef with another win, 129.66 to over David Muller, 111.56. Tyson moves to 8-0 on the season with a 113.36 to 99.7 over Shauna. Justin Dahl, Team Dahl continues his hot streak. He's won four in a row. He's at 142.36 win over Kittles and Bitch. Jordan Fields, 114.38. And in the domination, the blowout of the week, Sean Klosman, Christian Mingle beats Team Torrentor, 203.26 to 85.02. How much did Christian McCaffrey get? Christian McCaffrey had 29.8 points. Yeah, if I would have had him, I would have won. And the best part about this is that Sean technically did not even have the optimized lineup. Ugh. As he had eight points on his bench with a Dallas defense. Nope. 
as opposed to the Seattle defense, which only only scored eight. Yeah, those were off week. <laughs> so, uh, I I do want to pat myself on the back. I know I've been talking about my fantasy football struggles the last few weeks here. For the first time this season, I had a five and zero week across all my Impressive. five leagues. Um, <clears throat> I I did have to sweat one out a little bit in the money league Sean and I play in because I was also playing my brother in that league, and that came down to the final minutes of Monday Night Football, where I squeaked out a one forty point twenty six to one thirty nine point eight six win. So, taking a look at that game, I want to give a huge thank you to Josh Reynolds uh, from Detroit, who had one catch for 13 yards and a fumble. Yep. So he had negative points. He had. He ended up scoring point three on the game. Oh. That fumble single-handedly saved me. Yep. This week. So I want to shout him out. I also want to shout out the Philadelphia Eagles defense, who in a barn burner of a game uh, did get the win, but did not end up covering the final spread with a negative three-point performance against the Washington Commanders. So shout out to Philadelphia being negative and Josh Reynolds with a fumble. Single-handedly delivering me a win with money on the line. So... That should be that's my last root for, by the way. I want to give a late episode root for to the Philadelphia Eagles and my fantasy football team. I, I, I want to give one to Shauna too for not trading me TJ Hawkinson now since Kirk Cousins is now hurt. So I don't have to worry about that. <laughs> <laughs> I know she didn't hear that, so she will hear. Uh Shauna, you just got a root for from Sean for not Why? trading. <laughs> We're not trading TJ Hawkinson to Sean now that Kirk Cousins is up for the rest of the season with the torn Achilles. So what does that mean? Well, it means he doesn't have a Pro Bowl winning quarterback throwing him the ball. So I'm probably... <laughs> you want to trade Travis Kelsey? No. <laughs> I'll get him yet. I don't think you will. Yes, I will. <laughs> I admire the confidence. So that's our update on fantasy football. So we look at real football now. Green Bay Packers, once again, a disgusting loss to the Minnesota Vikings over the weekend. And that coming in the form of a 24-10 loss. The Vikings scoring their first rushing touchdown of the season. Um, once again... The Packers only scoring three points in the first half on an Anders Carlson field goal right at the at the end of the half. TJ Hawkinson had a touchdown. Jordan Addison had a touchdown. Just an overall ugly game that despite all of that, the Packers still had chances, and that pisses me off more than anything. Right. Because... So I'll start with that. Looking back at this last week, I thought that the Jordan Addison touchdown was going to be the dagger and truly ends up being the final scoring um, that really matters. Packers did claw back in it. They did score a touchdown. But really, 
at that point, the game was 24 to 3. Packers go down. They get their response touchdown in the third quarter. It's 24-10. Defense gets a stop. I believe a turnover, actually. And can't capitalize. Kirk Cousins is out of the game. And you get a stop or a turnover. You get deep down. Or, yeah, stop. You go down the field. Can't punch the ball in. Go for it on fourth down. Can't score. Then you get the turnover. So... Back-to-back drives the turnover because it was the block kick. I just remember that. The block kick. Then you go down the field again. Can't punch it in. And it's really game over from that point. And then, obviously, we, we know that it also ends with uh, Jordan Love interception as well. Yeah. So, looking back at this week, Jordan Love, 24-41, 229 yards, one touchdown, one interception. Jordan Love was also the leading rusher, four carries for 34 yards, which is also a problem. Um, There's no reason that that should be the case. Jaden Reed, the leading receiver, four catches for 83 yards. Uh, Looking at the box score for the uh, rest of the team, Aaron Jones had seven carries for 29 yards, averaged 4.1 a carry, seven carries. Says he feels 100%, but... For whatever reason, it's still on the snap count. A.J. Dillon, six carries for 11 yards. Uh, receivers, Jaden Reed had four catches on five, six targets, 83 yards. A.J. Dillon, five catches on five targets. Christian Watson, eight targets, three catches. Uh, Dontavian Wicks, two catches on four targets. Romeo Dobbs, four catches on nine. Aaron Jones, four on five targets, or four catches on five targets. Uh, Luke Musgrave caught two out of three. But... A little misleading because, once again, the accuracy of com- an issue for Jordan Love. Throwing into windows that he has no business throwing. Where, I mean, yeah, we can look at Christian Watson having eight targets and say, yeah, you know, he probably should come down with probably five of those as opposed to only three. Look at two more catches, but how many of those do you even have a shot on? You know what I mean? Right. And there are more drops, more than more than just from you know Christian Watson. You know, granted, again, Love's accuracy is is questionable at times, but he wasn't getting any help when he no, was on target. I, and I I think of a big drop by Dontavian Wicks that <clears throat> would have been a touchdown on that slant route. Um, and again, I, I'm you know this doesn't show up in a box score as an individual, but when you look at the team, you cannot expect to win when you're having 11 penalties for 99 yards. Mm. You only had the one turnover. Uh, time of possession, you got dominated 36 minutes, 22 seconds to 23 minutes, 38 seconds. At home, you outrushed them, but you got all outpassed. Had 10 drives on the game, 16 first downs. Only one of which came from penalties, whereas the Vikings had four first downs for penalties. Packers were 5 of 14 on third down. I want to give you guys the opportunity, because I saw this number just now, and it, it doesn't feel right, but also it, it feels 100% right. If you had to guess the Minnesota Vikings' third down efficiency, just from gut instinct watching that game, I have the stats up, so I can't give you an honest <laughs> estimate. Okay, I'm going to give it to Sean. <laughs> I'll go I, 
How, what was it? Seven for nine. Sean, they were 10 of 18. 10 of 18 on third down, one for one on fourth down. And, and just to interject there quickly, I think I saw somewhere, I could be wrong, but I thought I remember seeing how many times they converted on a third down with eight or more yards to go. I want to say it was like I don't I don't know nine. the actual number. Every time. Third and yeah. eight was a gimme, and that's yeah. pathetic. It was it's, it's terrible. And you guys know how I love to try to poke a finger at somebody and and try to figure out who's most at fault. I am genuinely at a loss as to who is actually most at fault. Um, this is one of those games where actually I thought Jordan Love played decently, all things considered. Um, we know about the issues with the accuracy and the, the deep ball. <clears throat> I can kind of get past that in this game for this individual game's sake. Uh, I don't really think it was his fault. I, and to be honest with you, I really don't think this was much on the coaching staff. I mean, you can look at the penalties, and yeah, that's that's discipline. But Matt LaFleur is not the one holding a jersey. Matt LaFleur is not the one. I mean, you can talk about the two not great, you know, roughing the passer kind of calls and some of those softer penalties out there because those were pretty stupid. But you know, you're not you're not going to hate on a guy for that. But when you look at Essentially, I would probably say eight or nine other penalties in the game. It's just, I mean, yeah, you want to coach that out and have better discipline and not commit those penalties, but they're not the one doing it either. So I thought the game plan was not awful. I'm still, I still don't get Aaron Jones only having seven carries. I will never get that. Well, what I don't understand about Aaron Jones is, you know, if, if Matt LaFleur is not playing him or giving him a lot of carries because they're still wanting him to rest and heal up, why is he even in the game in the first place? You're two and five. It's not like you're, you know, it's not like you have solid Super Bowl chances. Either play him 100% or play him 0% until he's healed and then play him 100%. Yeah, and I, I want to give credit here because this is a thing I really didn't have much of a thought on until this got put in. Uh, so credit to B, uh, Peter Burkowski, who is the lead analyst and the, the host of the Lockdown Packers podcast, the daily podcast, saying, I still think Matt LaFleur is a really good coach. I think he's overextended. He was at his best when Mike Pettin was fully in charge of the defense. He had to babysit, and he had an experienced offensive coordinator. He's trying to put out fires everywhere, and his, which takes his control way out. And when you combine that with when asked about the feeling from other teams about Jordan Love, um, other analysts out there are saying that, that the situation is incredibly difficult when you consider the young wide receivers, the game plan being what it is, but again, how many times this week, Sean, did we see and Dylan, did we see guys, two guys in the same spot? Or, you know, there's if you think back that first drive 
uh, it was wiped up by a penalty, but we saw that deep connection to Romeo Dobbs on the sideline. It was wiped up by the Rashid Walker illegal man downfield. But if you look at the the kind of the coaching film, the receivers it was a screen it was a screenplay that went wrong because the the back slip receivers aren't even running routes in that play. They're at the line of scrimmage blocking. No one's downfield until Romeo Dobbs says, "Oh shit!" You know, it's time to get downfield. Finds a spot and sets up camp and makes a hell of a catch on the sideline that would have stood had there not been a penalty. But you know, looking at that with that in mind, I mean, I'm not. I don't. I don't think that's. A, I mean, it's a little bit on coaching, but that's just inexperienced guys in their second year. When again, your leading receiver is a second year player. Your most experienced guy, offensive weapon, aside from the running back that they don't ever put on the field, is a second year guy. Right. And I, yeah, that kind of goes back to what you guys were saying earlier about, you know, the the Packer fans being frustrating. You know, we went from, you know, Eric, you and I have talked about this. We went from arguably the greatest Packer ever at quarterback and more than likely the most talented thrower of the football to ever touch a football to a guy who first year starter. I mean, there's going to be growing pains, right? Our, like you just said, our number one wide receiver is in the second year. There's still going to be growing pains in there. And then what you see often, you know, on, on, you know, Packer social media networks is they're not patient. They're not, no one wants to develop these players. They want, well, okay, well, these guys trash. Let's get rid of them. Sell, which I understand selling when you're in a rebuild, but holy crap, have some patience. (laughs) I think there's a time and a place like the Rasul Douglas trade as bad as it sucks from the element of, yeah, that's a very vocal leader, a great guy mm-hmm. to have in the locker room. I think it makes a lot of sense. Like, yeah, you're only moving up to like an end of third round type pick. And the Packers historically have struggled in the third round. Mm-hmm. Where if you look back at the last 10 third round picks before, before 2021, there's one guy still on the roster. Mm-hmm. I mean, let's go through this track record. Josiah DeGuar was 2020. He's still here, has frequently been hurt, and hasn't really excelled in that H-back role that we thought he would. Before that, yeah, the year before that, you had Jay Sternberger. He was off the team in two years. Oren Burks playing pretty decent football, I guess, for San Francisco, but not his first stop. Montrevious Adams, also gone. Kyler Fackrell, long gone. Tyler Mon- Ty Montgomery, Kyrie Thornton, Richard Rogers, and Alex Green. The Packers don't hit on third-round picks frequently and with enough consistency to feel great about that. Mm-hmm. But I almost uh, kind of appre- I almost appreciate the throwing darts at the board and just hoping one sticks. You get two <laughs> chances at it this year. I think you'll have you'll have two second-round picks. Just keep throwing shit at the board. Eventually, one of those first. You have five picks in the top 90-ish picks. One of those has to stick, right? Right. Or or it's another pick you can package and move up, too. That's yeah. For mm-hmm. Now, on the Most. flip side of waiting and letting it grow, <laughs> I, I got to throw this in because, again, 
I love I saw this stat. I, I have to mention it. This is coming courtesy of Zach Cruz, uh, managing editor writer for the Packers Wire of USA Today. Passer rating when targeting Packers receiver Christian Watson. With Aaron Rodgers, it was the passer rating was 123.3, third of 103 wide receivers in the NFL. This season, it's 45.1, which is 97th out of 100 receivers. Which, again, comes to you have a quarterback who is not excelling in the downfield ball with a guy who is a downfield receiver. He's not, I mean, you can have, you know, your possession guy in Romeo Dobbs and your downfield guy in, in Christian Watson. That's how receiving cores should be built. But if you have no credibility to that downfield guy and you're connecting with him three out of eight times or you know, two of five, two of four, whatever, the guy's just basically running laps. I think he just he Christian Watson just needs to be given a chance to go up and get get the ball in a, in a lot of these. That's a lot of the issue is it like we were talking before with the inaccuracies and everything like that. He's just got to be able to just go get it. Yeah, I mean, there was some criticism of him at the end of the Vikings game because he wasn't trying to play through the contact either to draw the penalty or make the catch. But that's not the kind of receiver he has been. And yeah, I would love to see that develop into the next part of his game. But I can also think of the one where he's, you know, at full sprint dives for a ball that's still four yards out of his grasp uh, in the end zone on the flip side too. So there's not really a true win there other than just trying to find another, like I said, just trying to find that accurate quarterback to get the job done. And until that happens, you're going to have the rumors swirling of, you know, Packers do have a pretty high draft pick as of right now. They've got picks to package. Are you in a position to move up and get a guy? Are you in a position where you're going to try to continue to build around Jordan Love? Uh, Brian Gutekinds did say today that he does hope that it doesn't take more than this season to kind of recognize the situation, analyze the situation, see what Love has. But he also said, I mean, he, you know, both him and Matt LaFleur said that he's still the guy for now. Um, which I obviously you have to say to some extent, but they're also saying that they don't really have to hope it goes into next year. Make of that what you will. Mm-hmm. I think they're going to be in a position, especially when you look at, and this leads me to my next point, of Dylan, something that you had pointed out to me this week, and why I wanted to kind of bring this up is, how hot are the seats on the various coaching staff and front office members of the Packers? I kind of think Matt LaFleur kind of has a free pass this year. Right, wrong, or indifferent. He's going to get that when you have the second youngest or the, the first youngest team in the NFL, a first year starter. The reality is that's what's going to happen. Unless you're willing to make a change at all three, the GM, the quarterback, and the head coach, he seems pretty safe to me. 
I would say probably the safest of these three, which leads me to another point of Packer fans being stupid and fire LaFleur, LaFraud, whatever you want to call them. <laughs> and and not recognizing again that the game plan could be perfect, but guys have to go out and execute it. You know, Kurt Banker, one of the better accounts on social media on X or Twitter, whatever you want to call it, is pointing out things on film where you guys have guys just standing there in the same spot, not running routes. That's not Matt Lafleur. What's he supposed to do about that? Mm-hmm. You know, I. I'm not going to sit here and say he's the greatest coach ever, like some people are ready to do after his third and fourth year, or second and third year, where he was getting comparisons to Lombardi based on record and all that. I'm not putting him in that camp. But I think he's a pretty solid coach that we know that the system can has worked here in Green Bay. And yeah, he had an MVP doing it for two years. But at the same time, you look at 49ers are pretty damn good. The Dolphins, part of the Shanahan coaching tree, pretty damn good. The Bills, I think in that same boat. The Rams, same boat, all in that Shanahan coaching tree. All pretty damn good. The Bengals, pretty damn good. It comes to building a roster around them. Um, Looking at Joe, I think Joe Barry's got to be gone. I'm surprised he's still here. Mm. I think most Packer fans are. I also do, to some element, though, think, you know, if you're a f- about to be a fourth-year head or fifth-year head coach and you've gone through def- two defensive coordinators, granted, you, you inherited one, but you can't keep cycling through D coordinators, but at the same time, like, you're an offensive coach, you need someone to take over there. And play, you know, a, a unit that gives a 10 of 18 on third down and virtually every chance on third and eight or longer... That's not Matt LaFleur's fault. Right. That's on that's on a defensive coordinator who doesn't doesn't play a scheme correctly, doesn't plan for a scheme correctly, has statistically probably the second worst scheme in terms of predictability. I think I saw that graphic today. Um, yeah, I also, also saw that one. Also courtesy of Kurt Bankert. But the second worst or second most predictable offense or defense with the also the second worst results. So when you look at their efficiency combined with their predictability, they are second worst in the league, basically. And when you can kind of combine that with. Again, the credibility of having third and eight conversions at any given turn. It doesn't really make sense why he's here this year. Really, aside from that stretch run of the you know five games last season, should have been on the outs after last season, but he got saved by a false hope rally. And my only fear is it's going to happen again. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I just, I don't, I don't see the point of keeping him around for another year. So that last year, I'll say it again. Eventually, it'll be true. <laughs> right. And then, for my sake, I don't. I don't. As much as I have been criticizing Brian Gutekunst here for a the crappy draft picks and not having the wherewithal to 
you know, get a couple veterans at the receiver positions and get the right guys to step up and play this offense properly. I think a lot of this is on the front office, but at the same time, unless you're willing, again, unless you're willing to go all three, I think you kind of are in a spot where his job probably will be safe for at least one more go around. And just to see, to see the rebuild through. What do you guys think? I think I think right now we are seeing a lot of issues coming forth that having a quarterback like Aaron Rodgers covered up. And I know you and I have talked about that in the past, Fish. You know, you didn't have to have a perfect game plan with Aaron Rodgers because he could make anything work. <clears throat> and now we don't have an Aaron Rodgers, so a lot falls on these other guys and they clearly just don't have it together. Whether it's the front office, whether it's the coaching staff, whether it's the key players, you know, whether it's anyone on the field, Aaron Rodgers isn't there to cover for him anymore. And sure, maybe Gutekunst hasn't made the best draft picks, but having a hall of fame quarterback, a four-time MVP kind of covers that up. And maybe Matt LaFleur doesn't drop the best game plan. And maybe your defensive coordinator isn't very good, but Aaron Rodgers with the ball in his hand keeps the defense off the field, covers that up. So now that we can't, we're struggling to string together four solid plays, the defense is on the field a lot more. And we're kind of seeing the faults in the defense here. Uh, more than we used to. So as far as hot seats go, I think Lafleur is definitely going to be the one that's going to take the fall, if anybody, on this. Obviously, I don't. I haven't met a single Packer fan who wants Joe Barry to stay. Right. Maybe I'm his wife. A, <laughs> maybe his wife, well, yeah, if she's even a Packer fan. Um Maybe she doesn't because maybe she wants to get the hell out of Wisconsin. <laughs> uh, maybe, maybe that's her plan, and maybe, maybe he's like, I, well, I don't know. I haven't been fired yet. I have no idea. I'm trying. I've been trying for the last two seasons. I don't know. Um, I think, I think, Lafleur should have the safest seat compared to the other two. Whether that's going to be true or not, at the end of the season, I don't know. But I think LaFleur should be the safest, personally. John? Yeah, I agree. I think LaFleur's got to be the safest, but I, th- I think Joe Barry's got to go. I re- and it would it really wouldn't surprise me if Gutekiss goes, too. But like, like you were saying, too, if you're going to do it, you're going to go all three. Mm-hmm. So, Dylan, Sean... Next season, as of we sit right now through seven games, first round draft pick comes up here, sitting at a top five pick. Where are you looking? Assume, let's just for argument's sake, assume that a perfect for your your pick here. Assume Caleb Williams is gone because he's going to probably go number one, but the perfect situation happens 
where your guy is there besides Caleb Williams? I think you're going Harrison Jr. If he's there. Assume, with your with your hypothetical, he is there. So that's who I'd go. Sean? I, I think you got to go a left tackle, a big left tackle of some sort. I just feel like that's that's going to be your main main need because you know Bakhtiari is going to be gone after this year, and I don't I don't know do you really trust Yash Nijman and who, who who's the other guy I can't think Rashid of Rashid Walker yeah Rashid Walker as your left tackles going forward. So you're looking at potentially the number one offensive line pick in most mock drafts is uh, Joe Alt out of Notre Dame. Yeah. You know. I probably agree with you the most, Sean, because I don't – I think as the roster is constructed, I don't think a true, like, top-end receiver like that fixes the issues. As much as I would love to have Marvin Harrison Jr., as great as that would be to have a guy of that caliber fall to you, which, again, probably won't happen if we're being honest. But no. for for the hypothetical sake, let's say it, it could – I think a left tackle is something that you can build on and either, you know, whether or not you're looking at, you know, whoever the quarterback is, I think a solid left tackle makes Jordan Love look better. I think it could make Sean Clifford look better. It, you know, I'm not, I would be curious on Drake may the quarterback out of UNC that gives me some intrigue. He's going to just be like Trubisky. Could be. And I'm also curious on Michael Penix Jr. out of Washington or Quinn Ewers out of Texas, but I think a left tackle kind of solidifies and you have that fifth year option. So you kind of, if you're, you know, based on what we're saying here, you're probably not going to go all three coach, GM, head, and quarterback. So you're probably going to have Jordan Love running it back for his last year of his contract. That left tackle is a staple enough piece where if there would be a new regime after next season, that's a piece to build around offense. So you can get your quarterback, then you can, you know, you'll still have Christian Watson. You'll still probably have Romeo Dobbs at that point. You have room to kind of build on from there. So I'm going to agree with you, Sean. All right, let's look at picks and we look ahead to the upcoming week of NFL. Uh, Shauna and I had a 10 and six week, which puts us respectively at 70 and 52 for myself leading the way. Shauna is at 69 and 53. Sean, you went six and 10 this last week, uh, going to 64 and 58. Dylan, you are technically not on the board, but you do take the guest spot, uh, which Trevor went six or eight and eight last week. So he goes to a combined 14 and 15 on the season. So, that is where the Dylan, the guest spot goes. So only two weeks, but Dylan, you have a chance to go above 500 here. Cool. Uh, to get that guest spot above 500. So uh, the Thursday night game already underway. It's at halftime. Titans lead the Steelers 13 to 10. Close enough game where I feel like we can actually do kind of a pick them on that one. See who kind of goes the rest of the way here. Uh, Titans Steelers. Sean, why don't you lead us off? 
Titans. Believe in Will Levis. Dylan? I'm going Pitt. Sean, do you make a pick on this one? What is it? Uh, the Thursday night game. I want Steelers. Sean is going with the Steelers. <laughs> Dylan with the Steelers. I'm going to go with Sean in this one. I, I've got faith in Will Levis. So that brings us to Sunday's action. And first game of the weekend, we have another... <clears throat> excuse me. Another international game, that being the Dolphins and the Chiefs. Chiefs are a one and a half point favorite in Germany. Shauna is going with the Chiefs to cover that one and a half. You know, two weeks ago, I also, you know, I had said that Miami would beat Philadelphia and kind of prove where they belong and yada, yada, yada. I got burned on that one pretty good. I'm going with the Chiefs. Cool. I, I think I'm going to go Miami. I'm right with you, Sean. Yeah, I think Tyreek Hill is going to have a crazy game this week. I wouldn't doubt that. Especially <clears throat> based on my logic, because Miami didn't show up at the last game. Probably will this time, but I digress. Uh, Ravens-Seahawks. The Ravens are a six-point favorite at home. Whew. Shauna went with the Ravens. Honestly, I think I'm also going Ravens in that one. That's a tough one. Six is a lot, but I'm going to go with the Ravens. Uh, I'm going to go Seahawks to cover that. Dylan? I'm going Ravens. All right. Cardinals-Browns. The Browns are an eight-point favorite at home. Shauna is saying that the Browns should cover that. Yeah, I agree. I'm going to go Browns. I'm also going to go Browns. I'm going to go with Arizona. I think that eight's a lot to cover. Um, we know that Kyler Murray's coming back either this week or next. I think there's just enough excitement there, and they've been a, a tough out. They've been really good against spread <clears throat> covering, so I'm going to say they cover this one. Yeah, but Josh Do- Josh Dobbs is Viking now, so that is true. Not starting this week either. Who who's the Cardinals quarterback now? I don't remember. It doesn't <laughs> matter. We'll get to that a little bit later. Um, <laughs> Tampa Bay, Houston, and that one, Houston is a three-point favorite. Shauna's going with the Texans, or excuse me, Shauna's going with the Buccaneers. That's a tough one. Did you say Houston's favored by three? Houston's favored by three. Hmm. I think I'm going to go with Shauna on that one. I think I'm going to go with the Bucs. I'm going to go Houston. I think I'm going to go with the Bucks. All right. 
Bears, Saints. The Saints are an eight and a half point favorite. I believe Saints. it is still Tyson Badgett <laughs> being the quarterback. Not even thinking about it. Saints. Yeah, Saints. I'm also going to Saints. I got burned on that one. I believed it in him for the for the Raiders game. I, I'm done with that. So that's a, a sweep for the Saints. Vikings Falcons. The Falcons are a four point favorite at home. Really? Shauna went with the Vikings. The Kirk Cousins list Vikings oh, on the road. Ah, oh, sh- <laughs> <laughs> I think she forgot. I also think she forgot, but that worked out really well for me when I forgot about Justin Fields being injured. Crap. Right. So, you know what? I think I'm going to ride that too. I just don't believe in Atlanta whatsoever. Yeah, but Taylor Heineke's starting. Even more of a reason. <laughs> I think the Vikings cover the four. Yeah, I think they do too. I'm I'm going the Falcons. I'm going to be different. Fair enough. All right. And then one more noon or two more noon games. Washington and the Patriots. And the Patriots are a three-point favorite. Shauna is going with the Road Dog. In the Commanders. As am I. Yep. Same here. Yeah, I think I'm going to do that too. No, this isn't going to be a very good game, is it? No. (laughs) No, that might be... That might be the... Well, no, there's one uglier game. But that might be the ugliest game of the week. It's up there. For the true ugliest game of the week... In my book, we've got Colts. Well, actually, I take that back. There's one even uglier than this one. We've got Colts Panthers. The Colts are a two and a half point favorite. Oh, gosh. Colts. Let me find a coin to flip here. (laughs) Uh, I'm going to go Colts. Sean, you said the Colts, correct? Yes, sir. I'm going to go with the Panthers. I I don't have a good reason. I think I'm just going to be different. <laughs> Maybe make up a game here. Um, This is the ugliest game of the week, and this isn't even close. The Giants and the Raiders. Now, those of you may know, the Raiders fired their GM and their head coach this week. However, they are still a two-point favorite. <laughs> at home. Sean is believing in the bounce back, though. You know, you always win that first game with the new coach. I'm going with her on this. I think the, the Giants are just so bad that the Raiders are going to sneak this one out. I, th- I think I'm going to go with the Giants. I think I'm going to go with the Raiders just because of Mark Davis's haircut. <laughs> I can I can agree with that. That is something else, isn't it? 
It really is. A guy with that much money should not have that haircut. Barber needs to be put down. <laughs> um, probably the best game of the week. Well, actually, there's two in a row here that are going to be really good games. We've got Dallas, Philadelphia. <clears throat> the Eagles are a three-point favorite. And Shauna's going with the Eagles with the commentary of fly, motherfucking Eagles fly. <laughs> I'll second that. I will second that. <laughs> I'm going to third that. I'm going to go Cowboys. Are you just mm-hmm. doing it to be different? Jalen Hurts has made a lot of mistakes this year. And I think that Dallas defense is going to capitalize it and at least bring one back for a touchdown. That's fair. That's Yeah, that's fair. All right. Sunday Night Football, the rematch, technically, of the Week 17 Monday Night Football game. We've got Bills-Bengals. The Bengals, a two-point favorite at home. Mm. And Shauna picked the Bengals. She said another tough one. Frick. Joey or Joshy? She's going with Joey and Jamar. I'm I'm with Bills. I also love how one pick ago she's going fly, motherfucking Eagles fly. And this time she's going frick. (laughs) (laughs) i'm going bengals i mean they're they're hot right now three game winning streak they just handled the 49ers pretty well in san francisco so i'm going bengals you know i think i gotta go that route too that's probably the toughest game of the weekend to pick yeah but that is a tough one That'll be a really good game to watch. Mm-hmm. I will say that, that one will be on my TV for sure. That's like the, the good old-fashioned Paula Abdul. I just hope everybody has fun. <laughs> yeah. All right. Monday Night Football, we've got Chargers-Jets. The Chargers are a three-and-a-half-point favorite in the Meadowlands. Chargers. Shauna is going with the Jets. She's got J-E-T-S, Jets, Jets, Jets. But not for Ron Ron. Zach, baby. (laughs) What a pick. (laughs) What a pick. (laughs) I'm going uh, L.A. just because I want to see what their uh, social media team comes up with next. You know what? I went into this season embracing the Jets. I bought the Jets t-shirt. Granted, the reason I bought the Jets t-shirt only lasted three plays, and I've been very <laughs> yeah. sad. I've been very sad wearing it every other time I do. Not this time. Jets t-shirt's coming back on Monday. It's going to get a dub. Actually, the Jets are undefeated when I've worn it. I wore it on Sunday as a protest for the Packers sucking. And the Jets got that ugly-ass win against the Giants. So I'm going with the Jets. Back-to-back weeks. 
as they continue to climb. They've got a four and three record. Think about that for a second. The Jets with Zach Wilson are four and three. And what a disaster. It just shows what a good defense does. Or good defense, good defensive coordinator, defensive coach. All right. I wonder last, Aaron Rodgers went there. <laughs> the last game of the week, even though it's at noon on Sunday, the Rams and the Packers, and somehow, for no sense whatsoever, the Green Bay Packers are a three-point favorite. Now, old again, the old adage is you get three for being at home, so really kind of a true pick them. Shauna has been scorned enough. She's going with the Rams. <sighs> is Stafford playing, or do we don't know yet? I don't think that we know that officially. Let me. Everybody's questionable right now. Mm-hmm. They're all questionable. Stafford's questionable. He is officially questionable. I think there are doubts that he plays, though. I think I'm going to go Rams. Um, let me see. We had a, a new update today from The Athletic. He did suffer a sprained ulnar collateral ligament UCL in his right thumb. Have not ruled out uh, the injured reserve, but saying it's as it's less significant than initially feared. Um, by Wednesday, so to uh, yesterday, McVeigh could even definitively say that injured reserve would be an option and did not rule him up for Sunday's game in Green Bay, although the team will continue to monitor factors such as swelling ability to grip the football in the chillier climate. Um, so if he does not play, the backup will be Brett Rapian. Oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> they heard that. Jer and Jones are still questionable. They were limited, limited today. Everybody did practice. Yep, they did practice. They were limited. But they did practice. I'm going Packers. Let's go. Give me that. (laughs) Sean, you said Rams. They got to get one eventually. Yeah, I said Rams. Dylan, I want to agree with you. I really do. Because I I do agree with you. Eventually, they've got to get one here. I'm picking with this, not with this. (laughs) My heart, not my brain. I'm going to pick with my heart, but also my brain. I'm going to pick the Rams because I can either be right or happy. I'll give you that. I'll give you that. I'm still sticking with Packers, but if you pick uh, the Packers, both. Yeah, but I'm putting all my eggs is... in one basket here. <laughs> yeah, that's not always the best strategy. But I'm going to be double happy when they win. You're just going to be like, oh, well, yeah, they won, but I got my pick wrong. And I'm going to be like, well, yeah, I got it right. <laughs> and they won. So Yeah, but for you to be right, they have to win by three. What if they I win care. by one? Then you're then I, you're wrong, but also right. Either way. Well, no, I'm going with – I'm still going with Packers. You're not talking <laughs> out of it. 
You're not talking or, me out of it. Well, they're they're in or, pen. We don't we don't get to change after we reveal new facts. Yeah, I'm, I wasn't gonna. I had no no intention of changing. All right, so that just wraps up here with what we are rooting for in the upcoming week and our bar of the week. Uh, so we'll start with what we are rooting for. And I'm personally, I'm going to go with RPW. Uh, they have their dual shows this weekend. So very excited for them. Cannot wait to be in attendance for sure Saturday night. Uh, TBD on Friday. But very excited for them to have their shows. Also want to shout out once again, Luxembourg Casco Spartans have the one versus two matchup against two rivers. So rooting for the Spartans to continue their playoff journey here. I'll be kind of selfishly so I can keep calling their games because they are a lot of fun. Sean, what do you got for us? I'm going to go RPW also. I think that it's going to be a blast on Saturday. So I'm real excited for it. All right. What do you got for us, Dylan? What are you rooting for? Simple and easy. I want to go Packers Bucks. You know, Packers are going against the three and five Rams team. They got a chance to bounce back here. Um, Bucks got, they're hosting the. Knicks tomorrow, then Monday they're at Brooklyn. Wednesday they are hosting Detroit. A couple average or three average teams. So they got a chance to, you know, get their shit together and potentially get up to five and two, find some groove before they get to a little tough road trip with Indiana and Orlando. So that's what I'm rooting for. All right. And Dylan, I'm going to put you on the spot here as well. Oh, good. Um, Do it. For our bar of the week. We have done Willie Beeman's already, but give us another mm-hmm. local bar for our bar of the week. Mm. I'm going to go with the bar I frequent most is going to be uh, Wedgwood in Amro. It's a, uh, the golf course in Amro. They got great food. Um, they make their drinks just how we like them here in wisconsin if you know what i mean um owners are nice they got indoor golf simulator yeah one of my favorite places to hang out all right so i'm gonna go here dylan uh 4.2 stars on google looking at some of the reviews here uh one person talking about the easter buffet was great and very reasonably priced buffet items are always fresh nice and hot Bar was very nice. Bloody Marys were very good. Very nice experience. Another person saying, I'm not a golfer. The restaurant had a 70s feeling, which I was fine with. Everything has been maintained very well. Food was amazing. Prime rib and salad bar. Twice baked potato was delicious. Waitress was on top of everything. A little shop that did her job. I would definitely be back. Uh, one more positive here. And that is great place and great people. Five-star review. Came in late looking for some dinner, but the kitchen was already closed. The owner, who was sitting at the bar, graciously offered to go back and make me something to eat. Tenderloin sandwich was delicious. The other patrons were very friendly as well. Dylan, what's the go-to order for yourself here? I usually get the chicken bacon ranch wrap. With the uh, sour cream fries and tzatziki sauce. 
It's like a cucumber sauce. Oh, is it good? That's some good gyro sauce. Mm. All right. For Justin, Shauna, and Ramsey, who aren't here, for Dylan and Sean, who are, I'm Eric signing off. Episode 133 is in the books. We're out. See ya. See ya. See ya.